Welcome to Meanwhile in Memphis, where New Memphis is celebrating our city by providing a weekly window into the ways Memphians are solving problems, looking forward, and successfully shaping the community. Good morning, Memphis. Happy Tuesday. We are super excited to be here in studio because we are still on a high from that wonderful Sunday evening Grizzlies game. Um, we have a few extra dark circles under our eyes and we're a little bit, a little bit, um, more sleepy than we might normally be, but it, it's well worth it to cheer on our Grizzlies. So we stayed up a little too late. So we're still kind of recovering on this Tuesday morning, a full m- more than 24 hours later, I will say. But thank you so much for tuning in to Meanwhile in Memphis on WYXR Radio 91.7 FM. We are here every Tuesday morning from nine to from 8 to 9 a.m. Excuse me. Again, I said I was a little bit sleepy, so pardon me for misreading my clock right now. But we are really excited about the show that we have for y'all today. We have a couple of really exciting people doing even more exciting things for our community. So first, we will have Corey Smith, not to be confused with the country singer for those people who might be aware. Corey Smith um, is the founder and executive director of Sweet Cheeks Diaper Ministry here in Memphis. She is affectionately known as the Diaper Diva. Uh, for those who may not know, Sweet Cheeks Diaper Ministry is a nonprofit here in Memphis dedicated to providing diapers to families in need. And what's really special is that they are one of only two diaper banks servicing the state of Tennessee. Yes, you heard that correct. The state of Tennessee, not just Memphis. And they've donated over 500,000 diapers to families in need since 2014. But more than meeting the basic needs of families by providing diapers, wipes, and formula, they also have full spectrum of care from infants um, to adolescents, providing um, period products to those in that lack the income to purchase those things. Um, apparently 25% of women struggle to buy period products due to lack of income, which I was shocked by that statistic. I had no idea it was so high. So their services are very much in need. And then they come even more full circle with their dignity for everybody that um, provides supplies for individuals in need who struggle with adult incontinence. So they're truly a full spectrum service provider from babies all the way up to seniors. And yeah, the, for people who really need these, they are life-changing. Um, we are really excited to have her because not only does she refer to herself as a diaper diva, I mean, come on, she's going to be a fabulous guest on this show, but they have also had some exciting news lately being on the Kelly Clarkson show and They were recently the recipient of an anonymous donation from WREG, a local um, news station here, and they got, I think, $1,000. I might be mistaken on that, but that is just, it, it makes me excited to know that more and more people are recognizing the work that they're doing. So not only here in the Mid-South, but really across the country, people are realizing what a need this is and what a solution it is. And Corey's story is, huh, Corey's story, but Corey's story is really exciting because she actually was in need herself when she was pregnant and a new mother. And she found a solution, not only that provided a solution for herself, but she 
made the solution into something greater than herself, which I think is just so generous and kind and using her creativity and innovation like that to help others outside of herself. She wasn't just in it to figure out how she could get diapers and formula and things like that for herself, but she wanted to give back and knew the struggle from a personal level. So I'm excited to dig into that a little bit more with her later in the show. And then after we chat with the diaper diva, Corey Smith, we will be talking to Jared Barnett, who is the brand new CEO of Slingshot Memphis. So Slingshot Memphis aims to create a demonstrable, geez, I cannot say that word again, still sleepy from that Grizz game on Sunday, but... So Slingshot Memphis aims to create a demonstrable reduction in poverty by promoting a results-driven poverty-fighting ecosystem. So they hope to create a reduction in poverty and establish a standard for useful and transparent measurement of poverty-fighting impact. So they support nonprofits to maximize their impact, which as a nonprofit myself and somebody who is not so great at um, crunching numbers, math and I were not always the best of friends. Um, I cannot tell you how wonderfully needed a organization like Slingshot Memphis is to all of the nonprofits that serve in a larger capacity. They're making sure that on the back end, everybody has the impact needed um, or ways to gather the data, I guess, to create and prove that they are um, moving the needle on any of the solutions that they are working towards, which is really pretty phenomenal to know that they could have a standard in place that would help more nonprofits than just themselves. So I'm really excited to dig into some of that with him later on. But I just wanted to say thank you so much for tuning in. Um, We really appreciate you. We love the support we are feeling. Y'all have been flooding our inbox, which is info at newmemphis.org. Um, let us know if you like something, if you don't like something, who should be, you know, a guest. If you know of people who are doing exciting things and they should come on Meanwhile in Memphis, we would love to have you shoot us an email. Again, that is info at newmemphis.org. Um, and yeah, without further delay, let's go ahead and get into the, the episode for today. Right, guys, Corey Smith with Sweet Cheeks Diaper Ministry is here with us. Hello, Corey. How are you? Hi, I'm good. How are you? I'm so good. I'm so excited to have you. I know you just said we're your first podcast ever. Yes, it is. So this is exciting. <laughs> I know. You get a whole live radio show and podcast in one. Yes. <laughs> Hey, mark it off the list as quickly as you can. That's right? my bucket list, right? <laughs> yeah, I love it. I love just, it. We're helping dreams come true over here at New Memphis. Uh, so for those listening who may not know about you, I kind of want to just hear a little bit more about yourself and a bit about the mission of Sweet Cheeks. Yes. Yeah, so I started Sweet Cheeks Diaper Ministry in 2014 when I was pregnant. Well, I started after I had my child, mm-hmm. but when I was pregnant with my child, I had um extreme form of morning sickness, which caused me to be off work like almost every day. Oh, and wow. so my doctor, she just put me on bed rest. And so while I was on bed rest, I lost my job because they said, you know, I was always at work. I mean, I was always at home and they needed to fill the position. So and then shortly after I had my daughter, my husband lost his job. Oh, so here we are with like new baby, right. two, two parents with no job. And we're trying to figure out like what the heck we're going to do. Yeah. So we were going to different social service agencies. We were going to different nonprofits, trying to find like support and help. 
And one of the things that we needed the most help in was, you know, buying diapers mm-hmm. because they are so expensive. We were able to get help with like milk or foods, the stuff that she really didn't need as an right. infant. Um, and so after we, you know, got back on our feet and started working, I told my husband, I was like, you know, it just, just like kept resonating. Like, mm-hmm. this is ridiculous yeah. that the one thing that you truly we needed, yeah. we couldn't get. And if we couldn't get it, what a with Who the other can't? families, yeah. you know, having the same issue. And, you know, we were considered middle class. Like, <laughs> right. So we didn't even qualify for some of the other supports because even though we were both unemployed, yeah. they still said we had the potential the to criteria. make the money. So we didn't meet the criteria. So if that's us in this middle class bracket, what are families who are not in Living the middle below class? It, yeah, yeah. What are they doing? So when we started, it was just, we just did a diaper drive. Mm-hmm. And we donated the diapers to some of those agencies that we reached yeah. out to for help. Awesome. Um, <laughs> like my friend the, and um, our, the food pantry at our mm-hmm. church. That's how it started out. And then we kept getting phone calls and like Facebook. Like, hey, I heard you guys give out diapers. We need diapers. And it just like kept constantly going. So I, I told my husband, I was like, I think this is something I <laughs> this need is a to thing. do all the time. <laughs> like once a year or once, like twice a year is not going to cut it. Yeah. And so we started doing it like full time, like full, all the time. Like we would just collect diapers in all the time. And then in 2018 is when we finally, like we got our 501c. We did mm-hmm. all the, the legal stuff <laughs> and it's just been uphill from there. So but prior to 20... Um, 18 of us getting like our 501c3 mm-hmm. we were distributing like between 10 to 20,000 diapers a year that year we distributed almost 50,000 just wow. that oh my year goodness. and then the following year we did almost 90,000 diapers and then this past year we did over 200,000 diapers holy cow <laughs> okay so I have recently had a child so I, I was about to say she's this. ready to <laughs> go <Yes. laughs> Like my question first was going to be, how much do diapers cost? Like before, yes. like how much do we think like a family incurs either like per child in their diaper lifetime or per year, whatever data you have, just for those like <laughs> me who don't have. A well, child. and then I want to follow up on that because yeah. this is really important too. It's how much they cost and how Ooh, many you, you need. Use. Yes, that's so like newborns can go between eight to twelve diapers a day. And wow. for the economy size box, you're going to spend between thirty and forty dollars, depending on the brands. It can go up to like forty five. We were in Sam's <laughs> this past weekend because I needed a particular size for a family that mm-hmm. we had ran out of, and it was the the only brand that they had. It was forty three dollars for that case. So Holy if you're talking cow. about a family who's living on a fixed income, right. that's a big chunk of their monthly budget. Yeah. <sighs> Yeah, like, so, I mean, what? How many diapers in a case? You've probably got 75 diapers in a case? Yes. So, I mean, you're at about $2 a piece, the, right? Mm-hmm. So, yep. when you, when you, ex- it, it, that's insane. It that is. is so much money. Well, so much money, and s- it's such a need, right? I mean, like yes. you said, you would assume that milk is mm-hmm. something mm-hmm. that you would need yes. for a newborn, but it's truly the diapers. It's truly the diapers. You don't need milk until they're one. Yes. So, what do you do in that meantime? Mm-hmm. I, I love this. I think you yeah. just don't think, like you said, you just don't think, think about it, right? Like mm-hmm. when people think about inherent needs just as us as people, the first thing that comes food to mind is food, food shelter. shelter. Like yes. those are the two that come to mind. Mm-hmm. But you forget like there are things as simple as diapers <laughs> yes. that people do not have access to. And the more you live, Memphis is a very impoverished city. It, it, yes. And the closer you live under that poverty line, how do you afford these? So I know you are one of, I think, only two 
Yes. Diaper banks in the yes. state of Tennessee. Yes, Nashville is one. Okay, Can we like, repeat that? The state of Tennessee. Tennessee yeah. As big as it is. As big as it is, the state of Tennessee, one of two. Yes. And it's the two most heavily populated yes. cities, Memphis and Nashville. <laughs> so you're so the our only rural resource. counties, like we're always getting requests from rural counties, mm-hmm. like all over the state. And I can only reach so far. Right. Nashville can only reach so far. You still have a whole state of people in need. So um, let's talk about let's talk about that collaboration. Are you in contact with the other with the other diaper? Mm-hmm. Um, yes. So bank. we're all a part of the National Diaper Bank Network. And okay. It's a I'm network sorry. That of- sounds adorable. <laughs> <laughs> The National Diaper Bank Network. (laughs) And it started out as just a a single diaper bank. They were one of the first ones who, you know, created this diaper bank model. Um, And so they created this network of, like, other diaper banks, like, trying to bring us all together. They have us resources for us. We get discount on diapers from Huggies. Um, So we get bulk shipment of diapers at less than half the cost of what we would buy, like a big box store. And then they also donate diapers. Like we just received a donation of like over 99,000 diapers just last month from Huggies. So, so yeah, we are, we are in like contact. We have a conference every year and we get to meet and collaborate with other diaper bank leaders, see what they're doing, their successes in their area. Like how can we implement it in our area? That is so great. So it's really a good, Network. I was about to say, it's so And when cool. I started, I didn't know I was starting a diaper bank. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you were fulfilling said, a need. Yes. You knew what you mm-hmm. had struggled with and what you were, uh, what you needed and you wanted to provide that. Exactly. They so reached out to me because, yeah. like, I created, like, my Facebook page because I'm like, incredible. hey, guys, I'm yes. going to start a nonprofit. I need diapers. And that's how it started. And that's then they reached awesome. out to me like, hey, I see you're trying to start a diaper bank. Power of social you know? media. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> They gave on. me resources. Like, they were with me. And like I said, I didn't know I was starting a diaper bank. I just knew yeah. I was giving out diapers. So and they helped me kind of structure it in a way that was more, we were able to more help efficient. more people. Yeah. Yes. So I let's talk that. about some of the things that you learned from that coalition is what I will mm-hmm. call it, right? <laughs> so um, we've had conversations with community leaders, uh, you know, this past year during during COVID and, and um, talking about, you know, we say here in Memphis, if there's a problem or a challenge, there's mm-hmm. 20 organizations working toward that to mm-hmm. fix it, right? So in this past year, we've had conversations with local leaders and, and with local nonprofits. Um, and what we've heard the most is that they've come together and discarded, started discussing, excuse <laughs> me, um, how, how they fit, right? The, the areas at which they're challenged or where mm-hmm. they work best or whatever. So what have you learned and what have you implemented here in Memphis that you've learned other places and vice versa, right? Yes. What have you implemented, helped implement in other cities? Yes. So I learned that even though I've been doing this since 2014, diaper need is still one of those topics that people don't get. Yeah, They're like, well, why have a kid if you can't afford diapers? Or I just don't understand why diapers are important. And until you explain it, then mm-hmm. it's like a light bulb goes off and it's like, wow, I never thought about yeah. it this way. Especially like male leaders or like mm-hmm. when you're trying to like get donations or funding, like men in general don't understand it because typically it's probably the wife or whatever is going to buy these products and then they just change the diapers. <laughs> <They don't. laughs> and so when you explain it to them, you explain like the different things that can go wrong mm-hmm. if a family can't afford diapers. And then it's like, 
I never thought about it that way. Or if you don't have children, you don't think about yeah. it. And so one example I always give is like, you know, we've all been to a baby shower. And, you know, when it's time for the baby shower, you go into the store. You're like, oh, what can I get? <laughs> and then you look at the diapers and you're like, oh, Boring. I think I'm going to go get these ones yeah. Yeah. over here. <laughs> this is cute. Yeah, there. this is a cute outfit because the diapers, <laughs> I can get three to four outfits exactly. versus just one pack of diapers, right. you know? And so when I explain it to people that way, they're like, yeah, I get it now. So I think with this pandemic, I feel like that I've gotten the word out a little better okay. because people were more open and willing to listen because there was different struggles. Right. Um, mm-hmm. And like you said, most people like with the long lines at the food bank, yeah. our lines are just as long. Yeah, like I can when imagine we did our, so. When we did our first distribution, when the pandemic first hit, um, our line was like several city blocks down the street oh like gosh. the police came and was like what are y'all doing are you, <laughs> how are you giving out food yeah. we're like no we're giving out diapers and he's like diapers and i like showing him around yeah. and i'm talking to him and he called his buddy he's like hey we got to get this line under control he actually came out and helped That's I awesome. love like, he didn't leave and like oh i'm about to shut you down because yeah. you're causing like, <laughs> traffic issues in the city it's like a covert yeah. operation. <laughs> like he understood and he was empathetic yeah. and he yeah. Stop where he was doing. And he came out there and helped us. That's, that is awesome. So I, that, and what a Memphis thing to do, I was right? Thinking that exactly. Memphis yes. thing. Uh-huh. I, I just love that. And I, I think that's part of what makes the city so great. Yes. And I know you guys, like, your main focus, you started out with diapers, but you've actually moved into other initiatives, right? Tell yes. us a little bit about those. So, and during this pandemic, so we always, always knew diaper need right. was an issue. Um, but during the pandemic, like when they would come and get diapers from us, they would ask us for other items. Like, did we have like sanitary pads mm-hmm. or do we have formula? We had a lot of elderly um, people come or families who took a, took care of their elderly uh, family members. They asked us we had di- right. adult diapers oh. because, you know, yeah, of course. they were having a hard time getting those as well. And so we started. First, we started with the formula. We was like, okay, we just put out a call once again. Like, hey, we're starting to get tons of requests for formula from different people. Um, We're like, hey, can you donate? And by the next distribution, we had like 100 canisters of formula. And since April of last year, during the title, we've always had formula now. Mm -hmm. We've always had um, sanitary pads. Um, Huggies, once again, they've partnered with... um, Kimberly Clark, who makes Kotex, oh, yeah. Yeah. they mm-hmm. gave us a shipment of 30,000 wow. um, sanitary pads. That is incredible. So we've had sanitary pads to give out since the pandemic as well. Yeah. And so now, even though we're calling a diaper bank, it's really more of a human essentials or basic essentials um, bank. You yeah, know, it's like a one-stop shop yeah. <laughs> for people who are in need. Like. Yes, because then it's all things that you don't consider like yeah of course you know i i nurse so i didn't really know the cost of formula because mm-hmm. i was adamant right. on yeah nursing. you were lucky enough to be able yeah. to nurse yeah and i was adamant i told my nurse i'm like look <laughs> i'm not working i can't afford formula you're gonna have to help me right. we're figuring <laughs> this out <laughs> so i had like a really good lactation consultant but yeah. i know like some of my friends they weren't able to nurse right. like as much as they wanted to they couldn't mm-hmm. and you look at the cost of formula it's astronomical. It almost a hundred dollars a can yeah. for some, mm-hmm. and the can is not going to get you on the very needs far. Of your child, yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, a can, a very large can, gets you about a week. Yeah, if you have a child who's lactose intolerant, that soy Even formula special, is yeah. yeah, almost seventy-five dollars a can. Mm-hmm. 
So. And I think the thing is, though, like, it also speaks to the point, like, I don't think just because you can't afford formula, you should be forced to make the exactly. decision to nurse. Like, you should still have that freedom For, to decide to, yes. what is best for your child, regardless of your financial situation. Mm-hmm. And I realize that's not so often the case, but services like yours is making it a possibility for women to still have that choice. Yes. And that's and that's our goal is I didn't want a mother to feel like I feel like you're already nervous yeah. having a new child. And then when you think you can't provide for your child, mm-hmm. it, like, it makes you kind of depressed. And I'm like, no mother should feel like, why did I have my child? Like, I can't afford to do this, mm-hmm. you know? And it's just certain things that shouldn't even cost that much to do. Yeah. Like, diapers shouldn't be... Yeah, it's like, why are budget. they that expensive? You, yeah. like, you shouldn't have to choose between rent or buying groceries over yeah. diapers. We've had some families tell us, you know, they've used T-shirts to get them by. Yep. They've used, like, paper towels or just... Anything. Or nothing at nothing. all. Like, yeah. Anything just to get them through the month. Right. Well, you know, so going back to a little bit about what you were talking earlier, right, when you've expanded and into um, the sanitary pads and et cetera. Um, you know, Mother's Mother's Day, uh, you know, was very uh, recently, very recent. Mm-hmm. And um, so thinking back to being a mother and going on that journey, you don't know what you don't know. Exactly. People can tell mm-hmm. you anything and you just don't know until you're there. And also the things th- they're not going to tell you some of those important things that you need to know. Right. Um, you don't ne- know that you need sanitary pads. No. After you have a child, mm-hmm. right? Like that's that's not something that you're aware of. Um, you don't know how many diapers that you're going to go through. Mm-hmm. You don't know if you're going to be able to breastfeed, even if that is part of your plan, plan. right? right? Um, you don't know if your child is going to react well to the formula. And mm-hmm. there's all of those situations and 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 things that are happening. Conversely, there's so many hormones that are rushing through your body. Yes. Um. It is such an interesting and crazy process. <laughs> yeah. And so, like you mentioned, right, um, that added stress of I'm not able to provide when you had planned to be able to provide is is such a challenge. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, offering these services really does help people yes. um, in feeling you know, to lessen some of that burden. Yes. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's just fabulous. I know. I would love to hear kind of from you because as I'm going to call you the diaper diva because that's what's on your <laughs> jacket. Yes. It says hashtag diaper <laughs> diva. diva. I'm going to have to take a picture so okay. the listening audience can see this phenomenal jacket she walked in here wearing. But just as you were speaking about what the work you guys are doing and to Anna Warman's point as well, like I feel like people who cannot afford these basic necessities are already in a weakened mental state. It is like taking up so much room Mm -hmm. in their mind. What have you seen, like when these obstacles and barriers of things like access to diapers, access to sanitary napkins, all of these great things you guys are doing, what have you seen it help people do? Like how does it alter their state of mind? Yes, so talking to some of our families, so the way we do our distributions right now is kind Mm -hmm. of like a drive-through. So sometimes we don't Great. have like that. Great. That was going to be my next question yeah. was the logistics. <laughs> yeah. So it's a drive through It's kind of like they do the food bank. They pull up. We have them fill like a little intake form mm-hmm. and then we give them, you know, the stuff that they need. And so sometimes some of our clients is just like trying to get the mm-hmm. line going because it's like three, four hundred yeah, cars in line. I mean, y'all are around the yeah, block uh-huh. apparently. So. But then there's the one, there's always going to be a couple of families who's going to stop and tell you like, you know, I know there's yeah. a line, but thank you so much. Like yeah. we've had. 
family's in tears, yeah. like just crying, like I didn't know like how I was going to get through this month because they had no diapers mm-hmm. for their kids or or formula. Mm-hmm. I have one um, mother who was trying to start her her child on whole milk early because right. it was just so they just expensive. Couldn't afford formula, yeah. yeah, which is we know is not a good thing no, for the baby's digestive system. And the cost, yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So you're going to create more problems Down doing that. Yeah, and that's the thing about poverty. It's it's a cycle. Like mm-hmm. you can't afford diapers today. You're going to pay medical bills for a diaper rash tomorrow. Right. You can't afford formula today. You're going to start them off on whole milk, and then you're going to have all intestinal issues, or yep. all those issues down the line, which now you have medical bills on top of, like, all your other bills. But what so, you're trying to do is solve if, one it's problem. It's solve one right problem. Now. Yeah. So yeah. if we can alleviate just one burden yeah. of a family, that rele- that alleviates the stress for anything else that they have to do. Right. And then it's it's beneficial for the child, too, because mm-hmm. now— you're as a mother or a father, whatever, you're not so stressed about this one thing that you are taking it out on the child. So yeah. or just you're just the whole situation, you're taking it out like on their household. So if we can help with mental health as well, because a lot of people don't realize mm-hmm. when you're in poverty, your mental health suffers as yes. well. And you can't take that out on your child or anybody else. Right. Because you're on on yeah, all yeah. the time. You're, you're problem yes. solving constantly. You're trying to figure it out. Yes. So we have quite a few families who are just like thank you like you just don't know how much you blessed us yeah and I think that's why we continue to do it of course like again it's something until I knew I knew about you guys because of an event we do called exposure and yes. I know you guys uh-huh. have been involved yes and, and our friends at UCI yes I just that's how I got introduced to you guys and I'd I didn't know this resource existed, and I love the fact that our city has it. And some notable people also took note more fairly recently. You guys were on the Kelly Clarkson show. Yes. Uh-huh. <laughs> that was so exciting. So how did, talk me through that. Yeah, so let's you get a phone it. call. Hello, it's me, Kelly Clarkson. I would like well, you to I got, <laughs> Actually, I got an email. So I got a grant through Community Foundation uh-huh. of Greater love Memphis, our friends their, their COVID-19 Foundation. relief grant. Yes. And part of it, they sent my story out to, I guess, some different publications. Awesome. And and so I got a call. Uh, her name is Kat Johnson. And she was like, hey, we're going to send your story out to different people. We love what you're doing. She was like, I think you need more exposure because yes. you're doing something good in our city. And, you know, not pe- many people know who you are. And so first we got like a story in Red Book magazine. It was like the 20 things of 2020 that helped us through the pandemic. Wow. And so I was one of the, so the cool. 20 things. And then she called me like a month later, like, hey, don't get excited, <laughs> but I think you're we're going to try to get you on Kelly Clarkson. Oh, God. And I'm like, what? Like, Excuse me? Yeah. I'm like, I voted for her on the very end of the show. Like, it's hey, like coming, that Kelly Clarkson. Coming full circle. <laughs> That's what I was yes. going to say. It's another full circle moment. Exactly. We're, and we she's like, it. yeah. So when we got the call, like, hey, they it's loved official. your story. They love like everything about you. They want you on the show. And she, when I say she is so down to earth, mm-hmm. like I just, like when you see celebrities, you just know like their celebrity persona. But she actually took the time off camera and it was all like via Skype because of the pandemic. Mm-hmm. But she actually took the time off camera and talked to us for like five to 10 minutes just about oh. motherhood, our journey. Um, she, she also didn't know diaper need until mm-hmm. like she talked to me. She was like, you know, she has several kids and she was like, yes, I know I have like how expensive diapers right. are, but I 
I'm blessed enough that I can afford this. Mm-hmm. So it never crossed her mind that right. this was such a, a huge need. Yeah. And so she thanked me for bringing attention to it. Like she thanked me for being on the show and I'm thanking her for letting <laughs> me come on her show. <laughs> well, so, what did she, she gave you, I yes. don't want to ruin it. I want you to tell the people, yes. what did they give? Yes, they gave us 20,000 diapers from yeah. Believe Diapers. Wow. Yes, so wow. that was tremendous. That is incredible. That is so cool. And I think it's, your the several Memphis orgs have been like getting notable recognition on the Kelly Clarkson show. Yes. And so I'm like, Kelly, just rep Memphis yeah, continually. Yeah, just keep, keep repping Memphis. Like, we are doing <laughs> great things in our city. And yes. I always tell people, um, there's so many people with so many great ideas. This is not implemented, but I always tell people if they complain, you, you always hear people like, oh, Memphis this, Memphis mm-hmm. that. And I'm like, if you're not going to do anything to make your city great, yeah. then why are you here? Yeah. Because that what every problem that we have, someone can help solve it. Mm-hmm. And so I'm not one of the ones like, oh, and I'm not even a native Memphian. I'm from Chicago. Yeah. Well, we I are glad to have you. Yes. <laughs> I was about to say, I had no idea. The way, like, you speak uh-huh. and your affection and affinity for Memphis, I, that's it my bad. I usually you. ask that question mm-hmm. always, but I just, the way you talk, I was like, this girl's from Memphis. Yes. Like, nope. she was. I was it. born and raised in Chicago. I started, wow. I came here for University of Memphis. Got you. And I never left. <laughs> I love that. I just think, you know, I think that Memphis just gets into your bones. Mm-hmm. It is. Yes. Right? Mm-hmm. And and it's just something that, that you can't get rid of. And yes. You can leave, but you'll come back. You'll come back. Yes. You'll come back. <laughs> I have a similar, like, I came to Memphis right after college for an internship, and it just stuck, and I just could not leave. Yes, the people here are amazing. Like, there's no way I thought that I would be where I am. When mm-hmm. we started, we were just doing everything out of my garage. Wow. And yes. we're in the building, and now we are, like, stuff. Like, mm-hmm. there's no room to move around. There's so many diapers. <laughs> so now we're looking for a bigger space. Like, you guys like, need, like, a whole warehouse six, situation. Yeah, like, in six months, we went from my garage to a space, and now we've, like, grown out of that space with the amount of donations of that's diapers awesome. that's coming in from the community. So it's it's been a blessing. Yeah, that's just a testament to the need you're solving. Yes. Oh, yeah. You know, I feel like so often people do have big ideas for nonprofits and some succeed, some fail. They're all trying to fulfill an inherent Mm -hmm. need that's needed in the community. But I think what sets yours apart is yours stemmed from that personal experience. And it just kind of gave you not only did you have a firsthand account of what is needed, what new moms need, but you saw the greater need in the community and you started to work towards solving that. So I am so happy that we have you here yeah, and you, you decided I'm, to call I'm, the 901 home. Yes, I'm excited. <laughs> so if people want to say they need your services or if they want to give back, how can we find you and how can we begin to do that? So um, my website, it's um, www.sweetcheeksdiaperministry.org. Um, if you need help, there's a button right on the homepage that says, I need help. You just click that. You tell us what you need and we will contact you for individual pickup or we will let you know like when our next big distribution is, yeah. which we try to do that once a month toward okay. the end of the, each month. And then if you like to donate, there's a give button right next we to that love one. <laughs> do, you, do you guys primarily want monetary donations to then purchase the divers or do you accept diaper donations? We, we accept we have an Amazon wish list as well that's awesome. on the website. So some people, most of our people, they donate through our wish list mm-hmm. and they come straight to us. Um, but we do need monetary donations because now that we're in a space, we want to maintain it and be able to stay there for as long as possible. You need, yeah, you <laughs> without need a having to, to go back, them, right? You know, to my garage. My husband, he finally 
It's getting mad. You came back. <laughs> I also wanted to ask though, like, are you a one woman operation? Do you have yes. a team? Wow. I am a one woman operation. I do have one of my best friends. She does. Um, well, that, well, I said two woman operation because yeah. she because I still work full time. She comes in and she handles like she's our the individual. Robin to your Batman. Yes, yeah, exactly. <laughs> she handles our individual pickups. Like if people are calling for assistance, like she's like, give them my phone number. So they call her and she scheduled time for them to come pick diapers up. She helped me in the warehouse where we're wrapping. Awesome. Um, I have to get also shout out Junior League of Memphis. Yes, we so love with him. um with everything that's going on, it was kind of hard to get volunteers mm-hmm. because of everything. And they stepped up and made sure, like, I have volunteers for every distribution, if we need help wrapping, all kinds of stuff. So Junior League has stepped up big time for our, as far as volunteering goes. I love that. So if people want to support, mm-hmm. they can donate. Mm-hmm. So they can go to the Amazon wish list. They can send you um, the, the goods themselves. Yes. Monetary donations. And then mm-hmm. volunteering is also an option, yes. right? Mm-hmm. Perfect. Yeah, and you guys also, I know you have an Instagram, too. Tell that yes. for us real quick. Yes, it's um, Sweet Cheeks Diaper Ministry. It's on Instagram and Facebook, and then Twitter is just Sweet Cheeks DM. Yeah, guys, you can keep up with their work very easily there if you want to learn a little bit more. I'm sure Corey wouldn't mind if you just slide right onto oh, their DMs yes, and ask there. all uh-huh. the questions. So, yes. well, thank you so much for being here with us today. I think this is such a Honestly, I, I like to call it a crucial conversation because I think yes, it's a it need the community needs to be aware of. Mm-hmm. But you're doing such great work and you're just an ideal like example of the type of people we want to uplift with this platform. And I just want you to keep doing what you're doing because it's amazing. Thank you. I definitely will. Oh, well, thank you so much for being thank here you. with thank us you. today. Have a good one. You too. Bye. All right. Welcome, everybody. Just a reminder, you are tuning in and listening to Meanwhile in Memphis on WYXR on Tuesday morning at 8 a.m. Or you may also be listening to us on podcast networks because we also air there at 9.01 a.m. So let's roll back into the show. We are here with Jared Barnett, who is the new CEO of Slingshot Memphis, and he also currently teaches in the business department at Rhodes College in Memphis, if I'm not mistaken. Um, so welcome, Jared. How are you? Hey, thanks. I'm doing great. We're awesome. super excited to have you here. Are you still currently teaching at Rhodes as so well? I've taken a break with kind of my transition to this I, new I mean, role, I don't know why. But... CEO is like a hard job. <laughs> is that what you're saying? <laughs> but it's uh, it was a blast. I really enjoyed doing that, and it was awesome to work with students. It's still been fun to keep in touch with me. Of them. Yeah. yeah. Well, uh, congratulations on the promotion, yes. by the way. Let's go ahead and thank you. Say like, I, this is where I need a soundboard. Yeah. I always need like an applause, <laughs> like a roaring applause button. We'll get that for you, Christy. <laughs> but <laughs> I kind of want to know a little bit before we launch into Slingshot, because you guys and the work you do is just crazy awesome. So before we even get there, I want you to kind of do us a favor and tell us a little bit more about you and how you got here. Yeah, it's a, a random story. Um, definitely not part of a five-year, ten-year plan or anything <laughs> like that. Those are the best stories, quite frankly. Uh, but it also kind of fits because I'm kind of weird. So I, I've been a bit <laughs> of a vagabond since graduating college. Never really lived in a place more than two to three years at a time, just because work always took me somewhere yeah. else. Uh, that included stops in Dallas, where I worked in consulting and actually worked a lot around the South, which mm-hmm. is really where my initial love for the South sure. came. Then we went to Africa for three years. And Just a in, casual detour. <laughs> lived in South Africa and worked in Kenya and Nigeria. Incredible. Then moved to Ghana and worked there for two years before doing grad school in South Chicago. Uh, went back to Dallas, did the consulting thing again, again, working in consulting companies, primarily in the South. And then uh, came to Memphis 
in a in a random way kind of found an opportunity at Slingshot that mm-hmm. finally was able to connect a lot of the interest I had where you know I like using analytics, I like using kind of logic and, and statistics to get to things, but I also like people. I love working with people. <laughs> You're a and, data nerd who loves people. Yeah, weird as that <laughs> is, right? I told you I'm yeah. weird. Um, and then finally, the idea of just like being able to use that for good, right? Yeah. So I, I've always been interested in impact. It's always been something that's interested me. But w- when you're working with Fortune 500, Fortune 100 companies, you're often so far removed yeah, from the 100%. people who are yeah. experiencing that, the benefits that I wanted to get somewhere closer and try and use some of my talents in a way that could be more helpful. So Africa was one attempt to try and do that. And Memphis is the other. Memphis has been a great one with <laughs> Slingshot um, to kind of contribute as well. So how did you, uh, how did you learn about Slingshot? I learned about Slingshot through uh, fate, is probably the best (laughs) way to put it. Uh, And so the consulting company I work for, which is called McKinsey & Company, has a really good alumni Mm -hmm. um, network. And so through that alumni network, I found out about Slingshot because currently currently we have three former McKinsey consultants who are at Slingshot, myself included. And one of our founding board members is also a senior partner Mm -hmm. at McKinsey. And so kind of through that network, I learned about this you know, weird new non-startup or no, startup nonprofit here in Memphis and kind of just learned more about it. And after about six months of talking, finally said, hey, like, let's see if we can do some work together. Uh, and from there, we haven't stopped. So awesome. So let's talk about what Slingshot is. Yeah. So sure. Those of us who don't know. Yeah. I'm, I'm like, I know, but I know a lot of people <laughs> don't. They don't know we have this like amazing asset in our city. So let's, let's hear it. What yeah. is it? So we like to think of Slingshot as a poverty fighting center of influence. And so, you know, when you think of other industries like, you know, business, sports, mm-hmm. medicine, they have really objective ways of measuring outcomes and understanding are things working or not, right? Finance is a great example, right? Like mm-hmm. heavens, you know, it takes a little change in the market and people go crazy like, oh no, it's the end of the world, right? We lost 1% in the, the stock market. But that doesn't exist when you come to poverty fighting. There's no way that we can go and kind of say, hey, like, you know, how are things working? Is that organization being effective or not? Mm-hmm. And you just don't have a lot of these metrics and ways of measuring things. And so Slingshot's created a framework and a methodology that can measure poverty fighting effectiveness. Incredible. And so we work with no- uh, poverty fighting organizations, nonprofit or otherwise. We study their poverty fighting effectiveness. We give them an objective assessment of that effectiveness mm-hmm. so that they have that information to understand where they are. We try and help them be able to learn this and do it on their own. And then we use that information to try and help influence the broader poverty fighting ecosystem to help make more evidence-based decisions on what's actually changing the lives of the people who are trying to help here in Memphis. Right. You have to have that knowledge before you can fix the problem. Exactly. Right. I mean, right you got to know what the problem is yeah. and, and if it's working or not before. Otherwise, you're just kind of throwing darts yeah. and hoping. <laughs> and it's better than nothing in a lot of cases. Yeah. But it's not very efficient. Right. You guys are trying to solve, I feel, for the long term as opposed to like a short term stopgap. Mm-hmm. You're really trying to dig into that data and see what's working, what's not, and how you can continue. Or where to pivot, right? I yeah. Mean, that's, that's one of the biggest things that has happened over this past year, I think, is, you know, we were all in this trajectory of, you know, we're, we're solving X, Y, and Z problem and doing this and doing that. But, um, you know, sometimes you're not hitting being as effective or efficient as you can. And so being able to pivot based on the data mm-hmm. can make a huge difference. Yeah. I mean, the term we like to use is like a poverty fighting feedback loop, right? So <laughs> I how like do you that a make lot. <laughs> a decision around, you know, you try something, you get, you know, you measure it, you understand did it work or not. Mm-hmm. And then you use that information to either enhance what your decision was or change it or say, look, that didn't work. We got to right. do something else. And so right now we have a lot of 
funds that goes into the ecosystem trying to help. Mm -hmm. We have a lot of people, a lot of, we have a lot of nonprofits here in Memphis. We're a very, you know, generous city and mm -hmm. a very kind of uh, thoughtful city, but we don't always know what's working, what's not. So sure. we're really trying to help provide that piece of the feedback loop to kind of close the loop so that now people can make more informed decisions. They can allocate resources, whether that's money or people's time and effort yeah. to things that are proven to work versus things that we hope work, but don't really know. Yeah. So speaking of that, is is Slingshot again for those of you who don't who don't know, is Slingshot focused on nonprofits here in Memphis alone, or does it expand outside of the city? Yeah, great question. We are Slingshot Memphis, mm -hmm. so we're just focused on <laughs> Memphis right now. We have hopes over time sure. to you know take our framework and approach and share that with other cities, but we're trying to get it right here in Memphis yeah. and try and make sure that before we do that, we can prove that what we're doing works. We can kind of work through all the, you know, our kinks and figure out the most efficient ways to do things. So when we go somewhere else, you know, it can work efficiently there <laughs> and effectively. Uh, yeah, absolutely. So. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think so you mentioned that you guys, you know, you work with organizations to kind of enhance their poverty fighting effectiveness. Just for those listening and honestly for me too, talk to me a little bit about what that looks like. Like how do you guys even start to do that work? Yeah. So it starts by thinking, what do we mean by poverty fighting right. effectiveness? And so to us, that is two things. One is it's either an improvement in the person's income mm -hmm. or two, an improvement in someone's health. Mm -hmm. And we think those two things provide the best measure for helping us understand is someone um, able to kind of get out of poverty and the challenges that creates by those two things. And so the work we do helps an organization understand that. So we have a framework with four dimensions. One is benefit cost ratio. Second is systems level change. Third is use of best practices. And the fourth is measurement infrastructure. And so for each of those four dimensions, we would go in and study that. We look at the evidence. You know, we're very evidence driven yeah. in how we work as well. We gather evidence from the organization around, you know, what data says, you know, that they're impacting someone's health or income. What research might exist that says this type of work impacts health and income? How do they influence the broader community, which is systems level change? How do they use practices that are proven to work um, and they're backed by evidence and research that supports that? And then how do they have their own measurement infrastructure, which is really how do they collect, analyze, and use data in their own decision making? So they create their own personal feedback loop for their organization. And so those are kind of the four dimensions that we go in and assess and help an organization understand where they are. And then we produce reports with those that that organization can use to share with anyone in the community. And we're actually here in the next several weeks going to be started posting those on our website mm -hmm. so that of the 30 organizations we work with, that information will be available on our website to help anyone in the community who wants to understand more. So how, how will, as a nonprofit, like how did you choose these 30 or did these 30 come to you? How did that work? Yeah, it's been an evolution. Okay. So, you know, originally when this started as, you know, this crazy idea and Justin Miller, our founder's mind, mm -hmm. right? He reached out to a couple nonprofits that he knew in the city and said, hey, like, we're going to do this crazy thing. If it works, it could be, you know, have a great impact on mm -hmm. things. We take a chance on us. And so we had four organizations that were kind enough to do that. And that's kind of how we got started. This was back in 2017. Fast forward now to the last time we had our, our kind of our application process, we had triple the number, wow. not even that, we had over 50 and we only were able wow. to take six at that point in oh time. My gosh. And so our goal is to triple in size now between where we are with our 30 and where we get to in the next three years. But uh, it's been exciting to kind of go from where we've had to reach out to now where we have organizations reaching out to us, asking us, hey, you know, we want to be a part of this. Can we, you know, we want to understand this information for ourselves. 
can, can we be a part? So it's been an exciting kind of journey in that, that process. Yeah. Hi. So just hearing you speak, is Slingshot's not a nonprofit or are you guys? It's a great question. We are a nonprofit. Okay, you are considered um, a nonprofit. And so we, we, we are a unique structure, though. So we're a nonprofit and we raise funds to cover our, our operations entirely. Perfect. So we have a small group of fund, uh, funders who will do that for us. Uh, we call them principal investors and they kind of keep our operations going. Separately, we raise funds and invest 100% of that into the organizations we work with. Wow. And so the idea here is that. Not only do we want to help organizations um, understand, you know, what's being effective and what's not and how they can enhance their effectiveness. Right. We also try and allocate resources and help others allocate resources in an evidence-based way so that if they invest through our, we call it our impact accelerator fund, they can know one, 100% of that is invested. We don't sit on any of that and it's invested every year. So we don't, right. you know, we don't have any way, you, you know, invest in us, we invest in the organizations. But two, we invest in that based on our impact study methodology right. so that we can do it in a way that, hey, this is working. Let's amplify that. Or here's an opportunity. Let's help support, you know, carrying out that opportunity and trying to enhance what they're doing. Right. So you're really supporting the work at which you uncover. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. That's really that's really cool. It's something you don't hear a lot about. Like you guys are just applying like investment principles to a nonprofit landscape, which I don't know that I've ever said that sentence before, <laughs> um, but it's true. Like, I know, um, obviously, I, I'm familiar with you guys, and so I know part of your model was measured a little bit out of uh, Paul Tudor Jones, who is, like, mm -hmm. a, yeah, a well-known Memphian out of New York. But you guys have really, like, taken that and made it your own. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, Paul Tudor Jones and some of his work was definitely an impetus yeah. when we got started. But what we've tried to do now is take our own experience, yeah. right? What's working, what's not. What's the evidence we have from what's helping our partners and what's not? And we use that to try and really shape what we are and evolve just like any startup would, right? Where you yeah. get consumer research, you figure out what they like, don't like. We're trying to do that, but more from a return standpoint, mm -hmm. uh, but particularly a poverty-fighting return on investment, right? And it's not you know, that I get any money back at the end of the day, but what I get is evidence that I'm having a greater poverty-fighting right. effect on what I'm doing mm -hmm. and the resources I spend than otherwise, or just not even knowing, which unfortunately is the case in most, most yeah. situations. So you've talked about expansion. So Slingshot is focused on poverty. Do you see yourself not only expanding in the number of organizations, but also in um, things outside of poverty? It's a great question. So we kind of think of poverty loosely, right? So there's mm -hmm. a variety of things that can address poverty. And one of our beliefs is that poverty is really complex. Mm -hmm. We don't believe there's kind of one thing and you fix that and everything goes away. It's There's so much that's interconnected, right? And so for us, we have a pretty broad definition. So that can include things like jobs, which clearly directly relate to improving income. Sure. But it's also, you know, pre-K education. Yeah. It's also adult English, um, you know, language. It's a variety of things, after school programs, all sorts of things that can fit into that. But we probably will stay, at least in the foreseeable future, focused on poverty. That's kind of where our sweet spot is. That's where our framework and methodology works. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't pretend to say, hey, like we're going to go and you know make the performing arts in, in Memphis right. better with our methodology. Maybe over time we can find a way sure. to do that. But right now I feel like that would be a step too far. And, and we want to stay where we have strengths and where what we think works and have proven to work. Yeah. Um, stay within that area. Yeah, I mean, like you said, poverty is so complex, right? It is. And yeah. so there's so many different areas within that infrastructure yep. that you can affect 
that then have a lasting effect on other other pieces of work that you could go into. Yep. Um, I think it's interesting because you guys are doing this work in Memphis and we are one of the most <laughs> charitable cities, but we're also one of the most impoverished. So just kind of, I want to, I just ask a very level setting question since mm-hmm. I have you here. Where does Memphis rank on the poverty? Like, where are we in terms? Yeah, it, it, it varies year to year, but Traditionally, we're either one, two, or three in mm-hmm. terms of the most impoverished metropolitan areas in the United States. Uh, and so um, it, it's a really weird kind of dichotomy, right? Where we're, mm-hmm. you know, when you look at the statistics, we're one of the poorest metropolitans in, in the U.S., but we're also one of the most giving. Yes. <laughs> and so, you know, part of the reason that Slingshot started was because of that dichotomy and this idea of how do we ensure that all of this charitable, you know, intentions and philanthropic investing has the impact we want so we can change mm-hmm. the, the, you know, the, the, the key that we care about, right? Is helping people yeah. have more you know, access to equitable opportunities and be able to remove themselves from the challenging situations that we're, you know, a lot of people find themselves here in Memphis. Yeah. I mean, I was going to ask the question differently is, is why is Memphis the place to be for slingshot? And I mean, you just said it so beautifully, right? It's, uh, it's that dichotomy. It's that, it's that juxtaposition of, of giving, the giving nature and, and really giving your time, your money, you know, your thought, yep. um, anything that that can go into that. And the fact that we are an impoverished city, the fact that we do need this stuff. Yeah. I mean, it's it's one thing if you're in a place where people don't care, right? Uh, like, hey, like we're in a yeah. poor metropolitan and nobody really cares, at least as evidenced by the time they commit to sure. it or the resources they allocate. And that's not the case here, right? Mm-hmm. And so for us, it's much more around how do we take all the good intentions that we see and really and funnel them in the make way that, that they need to. have the impact that right. we want, right? Like, because yeah. at the end of the day, like, I can give and it feels good, but I also want to give and have it feel good to the person who receives it because they're now in a better state of life than they would have been otherwise, yeah. right? They, they're in a position where they now have a chance to have access to new opportunities, or, you know, they're in a better state in their housing situation or in other ways that will help them. Um, it's about that community wide solution yes, yeah. instead absolutely. of just like the one stop shop solution. Yeah. Well, and you know, when anybody gives, right, they want to be making a difference. Yes. And so that's truly what you're doing is is showing um, that the difference is being made and making those adjustments that can make that difference even greater. Yeah. A term we like to use a lot in Slingshot is empower, right? Yeah. So we're not like, we don't fix it. anything in and of ourselves. Sure. But what we want to do is empower everyone else in this poverty fighting ecosystem to be able to make better decisions and have a greater impact because they now have mm-hmm. access to information they didn't have before, or they see things from a different angle than they were, you know, originally. For us, like, you know, a big part of this is this idea of things have to change, right? Like yeah. our poverty rate in Memphis has been the same ever since poverty rate was calculated, right? Back mm-hmm. in the 70s, or early 60s, it, it basically hasn't changed in a meaningful way. That's so disheartening to hear, but it, I love it, that it's, you know, it's why work like yours exists. Right. And so, you know, we want to do that. We want to change something about it. But what we've tried hasn't worked. So our mm-hmm. mindset is, well, what's missing? And this is one of those ingredients that we think will help unlock and, again, further empower people to have yeah. the impact. And right. outcomes is a term we like to use that will create the outcomes for people that we hope that they experience. So how has the pandemic impacted the work of what you do? It's a good question. So. There's a couple of different ways to get it. At a macro level, I would say that the need is even greater now mm-hmm. than it's ever been. Sure. And unfortunately, I think that need is not as well seen um, as it is, right? And so a lot of people through the pandemic who are middle class and above, in my opinion, it's been an inconvenience, but it hasn't always been a game changer for them. Right. right. But there's a lot of people, those who are in a more disadvantaged state, 
beforehand are in a further disadvantaged state now, whether that's structurally or just in other ways. And I think a lot of times we glance over that, right? Well, the stock market's doing great. All these mm -hmm. things are going well. Well, when you look at the individuals right. of people and, and the families that are suffering, that has gotten a lot worse in many cases. And our work with other nonprofits who work directly with, you know, th those who are in these challenging situations in Memphis, we hear that and see that every day. So that's, I think, one thing that's, that's there. It's just the need's greater than ever. And unfortunately, I think there's a lot of things that make it harder to see that. Yeah. Um, the more uh, kind of uh, micro-focused is when this happened, we kind of pivoted our work. Okay. So we stopped kind of doing our traditional impact studies with organizations for a while. And we transitioned to starting to understand what's happening. What are the challenges that the organizations are facing that we work with, as well as the people that they're working with? And so we came out with a lot of things to try and help others understand and empower in a different way with just new information saying, yeah. hey, here's what we're hearing from the organizations we're working mm -hmm. with, right? Here are some of the needs that they're seeing that maybe aren't as well understood, right? Here's some of the needs of the people they're working with, you know, that aren't as understood. Um, and so that was able to kind of help us um, share and empower in a different way. We did a lot of work directly with the nonprofits that we work with. We I'm a did a lot of procurement work in my consulting days. So we did some purchases of PPE and other things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's not our sweet spot, but right. we did it in the meantime time support, because we right? had the opportunity to do yeah. it. Uh, we invested early. Normally, we don't invest in organizations until the end of the year. And last year, we invested some money earlier in the year to try and help with specific needs. Yeah. Where, yeah. you know, hey, these, this organization needs laptops so they can work remote. So we try to help fund that. This organization needs help with this. So we try to help fund some of these things. And then since then, really, the, the main difference for us is just we've worked remote. And so we've been able to kind of resume our impact study work starting last summer. And we've had to take a slightly different focus and yeah. account for the things that COVID's created with virtual you know, environments and other things. But my hope is that the organizations we work with would say that we've still been able to kind of provide the value right. that we've aspired to, but just in this new world so that they're still learning things, they're understanding what's working and what's not uh, from an, in an objective third-party way. And are able to use that to kind of move forward, even with the changes that we have and challenges we have with, um, due to the pandemic. Yeah. yeah. So like coming off of the pandemic, we're halfway through 2021, which I don't I don't know how, but we're here. It scares like, me. It's terrifying. I'm like, where did my brain go? First of all, I don't think 2020 happened in my head. Right? I think it was like, a fever dream. <laughs> and if we want to go with that and all collectively say that's what we're doing, I am I'm not opposed <laughs> So, but looking forward to 2021, what are you most excited about for Slingshot's work? Yeah, it's, it's all related to kind of this concept of scaling. And so, mm -hmm. it, but it's phased apart. So right now, what I'm really excited about is kind of finishing putting together our infrastructure so that we can replicate these impact studies as efficiently as possible right. and work with as many organizations as we can. So we've done a lot of work the last five years of kind of figuring out what works, what doesn't, refining it. We now have a very systematic and structured approach for what we do. We're finishing building out some of the tools we need to do that. We're putting into place the team. So we've tripled the size, or not tripled, sorry. We've added three people, which doubles the size of our impact study team over the last six months. It has wow. to be a game changer, right? It's, it's been <laughs> awesome. And I'll tell you what, it's unbelievable that you can hire people in this day and age without ever meeting them. So oh, is it that bizarre? We have uh, a phenomenal colleague named Brianna Crawford, who we hired as a, a fellow through Education Pioneers last summer. She agreed to stay on with us through her last school year. She's mm -hmm. doing a master's program at Vanderbilt. And we're going to meet her for the first time this month. Oh, my God. Um, right. That and so we do, we've worked with her, you know, on a regular basis. But that's just the world we live in. Right. And it's worked, which has been really neat. And I also think it goes a long way as a side note of just 
the culture that Slingshot's created mm -hmm. has been really neat because it's very much this, you know, rigorous, objective, analytical, but the human aspect of that hasn't been lost mm -hmm. uh, because at the end of the day, that's what this is all about, right? We're trying to help people, right? We're trying to help families, mothers, fathers, children. Um, and so to me, that's a really important part, right? It's this idea of like, you know, we want to do our work with all of this rigor and things, but also heart, right? Mm -hmm. And this idea that it's still people at the end of the day. And, and so uh, that's been a neat part, I think, for us as we kind of deal with all this craziness and try and figure yeah. out. You know, how do you how do you do this in this, you know, insane world we live in right now? Yeah, I mean, you talked that we you know, we we talked about why Memphis earlier and the the dichotomy of of the giving, but but also and it's really similar in into what slingshot is, right? There's that dichotomy of like the data, mm -hmm. the data focus, head down, um, you know, and normally uh you're not really talking to other people, you're just looking at the data. But then you've got that heart and soul. Um, where you're really impacting the people and it's bringing those two together that that really makes slingshot what it what it is and and uh, makes it so amazing. So it just seems like the perfect uh, synergy between the city at which it started and the idea of yeah. which it it you know it takes. It's a unicorn. Memphis is a unicorn. It is. Slingshot's a unicorn. <laughs> a Make that your new motto. A purple squirrel. <laughs> a we purple learned that. We're trying. Yeah, it's it's you know it's that idea that combination I think is, yeah. is critical, right? Whether yeah. not just for us but for anything, right? Yeah. Like if you can bring those two things together, then it just it's magic in my mind. I love it. Very magic, the so. magic of Memphis. Well, before we let you go, this was so awesome, and I feel like we could talk to you forever, but we obviously don't have that kind of time, and we don't want to <laughs> keep you, but. For the people listening, tell them, you know, where they can go to learn more about Slingshot. How can they help if they want to? Tell us all the things. Where do we find you, et yeah. cetera. <laughs> so, um, you know, our website, slingshotmemphis.org, is where you can come and learn about what we do, learn about the organizations we work with, and understand that. It also gives you an opportunity if you're interested in investing in our Impact Accelerator Fund, where, again, if you want to, you know, try and fight, the, you know, poverty and, and contribute, mm -hmm. but not sure how to do that or where, we can do that based on the, the impact studies that we do and the work that we you know, understand in terms of you know, this works and yeah. doesn't. Um, so that's a piece there. We're also on various social media websites. So you know, Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, Facebook. All of probably them. Probably more. The big um, four. Yeah. So uh, we're there as well. We're going to be doing some work here over the next, you know, over the summer and into the fall around trying to enhance those and make them even more valuable tools for mm -hmm. the community here. Okay. Uh, and so that's something that we're really excited about is, again, trying to make the information we're, we're Accessible. Creating an understanding more mm -hmm. available and accessible for yeah. everyone here in the community. And then I think, you know, for us, the, the biggest thing is, is not so much like it's got to be slingshot, but it's mm -hmm. this approach, right? This uh, idea of combining, you know, what's working with evidence and understanding that and measuring that with, you know, this desire and heart to help others. Right. And so, you know, that's the thing that if I'd say there's one thing people could do, it's asking those questions, right? Like, how is this influencing the lives of people that we're trying to help? Is there any evidence that it's working? Mm -hmm. Right? Because being able to do that outside of just the the you know, number of organizations we're able to work with right now, but thinking about it more broadly, is going to create this more movement concept that embraces yeah. this, which is really what we care about is yeah. we want to work ourselves out of a job Absolutely. where this is just the norm and how we fight poverty in Memphis. And you don't need a slingshot anymore because everybody does this naturally. It's not there right now, and, and that's the exciting part for us is how mm -hmm. do we get there. But we want it to be this movement. We want to invite everybody to be a part of it. And so by asking these questions, right, how is it changing the outcomes that people experience? Not how many people did it serve or how cost-effective are they, which are helpful metrics, but they don't tell you, mm -hmm. did it change the life of the people that you're trying to help? But thinking more of that outcomes-driven approach, 
will really, I think, be a powerful way people can kind of uh, participate with us in this idea of you know, trying to really make a dramatic change in, in the poverty level here in Memphis. I love that. Mm-hmm. I just love that. I mean, I think, you know, I think a lot of people want to help. Um, and sometimes they don't have the time and they don't have the resources, right? And I think this is such an easy and uh, special way to do that is just really implementing this as part of your thought process mm-hmm. um, and the things that you're doing. Yeah. And you can make a difference. Yeah. And like you guys are making it where that the answer to the question, because we've always done it this way, is no longer work. the acceptable answer. Like you guys are really pushing people to find those data-driven solutions and you're seeing what works. And I commend you on that, sir, and your team. So I love it. We are so happy you could be here with us today, but thank you so much. Thank you. I'm so grateful for the chance to be here and it's been wonderful talking with you all. Thank you so yeah. much. Yeah, have a great day. You Bye. too. Well, that about does it for us here. We hope you enjoyed everything you heard today. And thank you so much for tuning in to Meanwhile in Memphis on WYXR Radio 91.7 FM. If you like what you heard, we encourage you to go over to newmemphis.org to donate to support our wonderful organization. I am a little bit biased, but that is still all right. We do wonderful work in our community and we love and cherish your support. We would also implore you to go over to our friends at wyxr.org and do the same for them so they can keep bringing you some Memphis-centric tunes. And yeah, we will see you right back here on Tuesday morning at 8 a.m. Bye. Meanwhile in Memphis is brought to you in partnership with WYXR, produced by New Memphis and hosted by Anna Mullins Ellis and Christy Mullen. For more information, please visit newmemphis.org. Audio for this show is recorded and produced by the OAM Network. For more information, please visit pod901.com.